Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you uh, that you've brought us here to worship you, to glorify you, and to learn from your word. Uh, We do remember our brothers and sisters in India and Nepal. And Lord, we pray for your comfort for those fellowships and the families who have lost their loved ones as a result of this, uh, this plague. Lord God, you know all things you know are coming out or going forward, going, going to and are coming out, coming back. And Lord God, you know our days, they're numbered. And so it's no surprise to you when you call your saints home. But Lord, we do pray that you bring comfort and peace to those families and the congregations. Lord, that you'd provide for them in this time of need. We also want to pray, dear God, that you would uh, be gracious and merciful to India and Nepal. Lord, we know that you work all things together for good to those who love you. But Lord, we do pray that uh, these people would turn from their idolatry, turn from their ungodly practices, and turn toward you. So we, we pray for these countries, for your mercy. We also pray for Larry, who's over in Ireland still. We look forward to having him back here with us. And thank you for Kathy's uh, safe return here to the U.S. And now, Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so in Uganda, we, we actually had a good trip. It was a long trip. It wasn't the trip we expected to have. The, uh, we were expecting to be in South Sudan as well as Kenya. Those two countries didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, in all things, even with frustrations and all the things that come along with these trips, you just trust the Lord, you wait on him, and you do what God puts before you. Uh, so I will say this about our ministry. So back in 2018, we started working with uh, Pastor Rafat from Egypt. And uh, Rafat was invited to Uganda to do a, a Simply the Story workshop. Well, when he got there, the pastor basically it was a shakedown for money. So he refused to, to work with the church. Well, that redirected him into a refugee settlement camp. And uh, he did the SDS workshop there. Then all of a sudden, God started bearing fruit. And this ministry started growing and growing. Come 2018, we get involved with Rafat. And there's about 20, 24 oral Bible schools at the time uh, across the different refugee camps. There's a lot of refugee camps. In fact, Uganda has the most South Sudanese refugees uh, out of all the countries where they've they've fled. Well, uh, today, now there are over 100 oral Bible schools. And they span between Uganda, Kenya, South Sudan, and North Sudan. Uh, the ministry has just grown, and I, I will say this, we have so many wonderful ministries here and abroad that we are a part of, that we support, but I don't think there's a ministry currently with a wider open door that has a moving of the Spirit like Spoken Word. So we formed Spoken Word Ministries officially in South Sudan, myself, Rafat, and Hanan, the, uh, that's one of our uh, the female co-workers from Egypt. We, filmed, uh, we formed Spoken Word Ministries a little over a year ago to start purchasing land to build the mission center. We're almost finished with the NGO status in Kenya, and uh, we've, we've purchased land there to do a mission training center, and also in South Sudan uh, near Taposa. Uh, so that's kind of what's happening in, in those areas. And I will say this, that uh, one of the issues currently that we need you to really start praying for is the harvest right now is plentiful in that area, but the workers are very few. Uh, So I would really ask that you would start praying 
that God would raise up workers. And maybe even those workers are you in this congregation. Maybe some of you are willing to help out and be a part of this ministry. We'll train you. We'll get you out there. Uh, and uh, I know you're like, wait, no, what, hold on now. <laughs> but, but really just pray. Let the Lord lead. Uh, either you, God raise up people or maybe you'll even go. Um, we did a lot of oral Bible school graduations and Part of it, even if you just go for a couple months and you help out with the oral Bible school graduations, that would be huge because next year we're going to have over 100 graduating. And just to keep up with that number, is, it's massive. So uh, what I did while I was there is uh, we worked on the training center with Benny. I went and visited oral Bible schools. Uh, here's a picture of one of the oral Bible schools that we visited this is in Budri. So we built our center pretty strategic in northern Uganda. So um, although the travel to each of the camps is hard, this is, uh, the center is fairly close. So I was able to leave uh, from the center, head to the Nile, which was about 20 kilometers from the center, cross over the Nile River, take a Boda Boda motorcycle back into the camp of Budri, and then stay with them for a couple days This is one of the smaller currently oral Bible schools going on. And uh, while I was there, I taught three stories. And uh, it was really amazing and a blessing because I did, one of the stories I did was Psalm 1. And uh, the next day in church, they just had a time of testimony and sharing. And uh, one of the men who were in the oral Bible school stood up and he said, he was so blessed. And all night long, he was just thinking about Psalm 1. And he began to recite, the, and they had never heard Psalm 1, they had never done that story before. So he began to recite the entire psalm just as it is in the Bible. And he was talking about how God was ministering to him. So they're so hungry for the word of God, it's, it's really quite incredible. But uh, just being able to go visit oral Bible schools, encourage them, uh, teach some stories through the STS, simply the story method, we, we can really use some help with that. Then uh, the next slide here was the Oral Bible School graduation in uh, ILO 1. Uh, we did, while well, I was there, we did five Oral Bible School graduations. The roads are just awful between places. And uh, it, was, it was painful driving because the roads were so bad. Uh, but <laughs> by God's grace and your prayers, we made it safely. And, and I've driven some bad roads in my life. I've never been praying so hard on the roads. In fact, when we finally got back into Kampala, uh, I was like, oh Lord, I'm, well, I'm going to kill everybody in this van. Like, I'm, there's no way we're going to make it. This van is falling apart because we had just beat it up so bad. And uh, then all of a sudden, Arthur shows up on a boat of boda in front of me, Arthur from Hope Home. And he's like, follow me. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> My time is almost done driving this van. But uh, I almost hit a, a herd of elephants on the road, which... Yeah, that's a whole other story. Anyway, <laughs> driving in Uganda, left side of the road. You're supposed to stay on the left side. Uh, so this was the graduation in ILO 1. And uh, we make a big deal about the graduation. You can see we bring caps and gowns and everything. We invite the whole area to come, be a part, have a feast. Uh, you'll, we'll have some of the graduates share their story, a story or testimonies about what God has done. And the testimonies are absolutely incredible about how God is moving in these people's lives through the oral Bible schools. Well, uh, this next picture is uh, the, so this is some of that group 
But these are all the 18 years and under. Next to them are the two Egyptian, or three Egyptians, Rafat's in the center. Uh, Hanan, one of the directors, is kind of on the inside. On the outside is Raquette. Uh, she actually is a Sunday school teacher for one of the largest uh, Christian evangelical churches in Cairo. And she came and just started doing Sunday school programs, like everywhere. Like she brought a puppet and she would just, she was like the Pied Piper with children. She would just start doing uh, ministry with kids and uh, it was really wonderful. They actually came out for a Sunday school workers workshop. Uh, when I was a part of that workshop, I, three of the Sunday school teachers accepted Jesus Christ. Now I know that seems like, wait, why didn't they know Jesus? It's, you, it's, that's the way it is in Africa. So you always share the gospel because there's people that you think like, sure, they, surely they know Christ, but they don't. Uh, but these are all the 18 years and younger uh, Sunnis. The youngest was 14 years old. They learned 296 stories of the Bible. They, I mean, really, truly, their knowledge of Scripture, their application of it is incredible. Uh, and uh, what a blessing to see the way the Word of God changes their lives the next picture here is a, uh, and by the way, I'll be showing you a lot more videos and things as we go. This man uh, never wore clothes until he was forced out of his home country of South Sudan into the refugee settlements in, uh, I think it was 2016 or 17. Uh, he's a cattle herder, and uh, his tribe, they just walk around naked. Uh, and uh, he uh, was sharing with me, by the way, those aren't creases in his forehead, that's tribal scarring. Uh, he was sharing with me that he had never heard anything about God. He never knew about God at all. And he came to the refugee settlement, and the way he got into an oral Bible school was he, he saw these people around him that were being transformed. They were changing, and he wanted to know what was changing them. And then he was invited to the oral Bible school graduation in BDBD. He decided to join And so he joined the Oral Bible School, and uh, he became born again. And now his goal is to go back and tell those other cattle herders uh, about God, because he knows that they don't know anything about God. And uh, so he's really excited to do that and uh, be trained up as a missionary. Uh, Wonderful testimony he gave. And then I have one more picture here. Some of you saw this on my Instagram. Uh, this man in the center, he kind of looks a little funny because he doesn't know where to look. He's blind. Uh, he shared a story. He was one of the graduate students that shared a story. He did the story of Solomon and the women who were fighting over the baby. Uh, he sh- shared the story flawlessly. It was really wonderful. Uh, he obviously, through the Oral Bible School, has, has understood the Word of God and has access to the Word of God because before he had no access to it. Uh, to his left is his mother, and his right is his sister and brother. Now, his mother, when we called his name for the graduation, his mother comes yelling and dancing, my son, my son, my son, and she's just praising God. And then we start speaking to her, and she starts sharing the story. You see, this man was not born blind. He was made blind by the worst evil of mankind. When the rebels came into his village, they tortured him, and then they poured chemicals into his eyes to burn his eyes and blind him. He came to the refugee settlement in the darkness. Obviously, he could no longer see. He he felt like he had no purpose in life. He was ready to kill himself, and then he was invited to an oral Bible school. 
there in the Oral Bible School, not only did he become born again, but he learned that he can forgive those people who tortured him and blinded him because Christ forgave him. Amazing transformation. His mom signed up for the next Oral Bible School coming. So it, really wonderful things are happening uh, in these, among these uh, Oral Bible Schools. Uh, please keep it in prayer. I've got lots more to share. It's so hard to even condense it all into a short report, but uh, God is doing marvelous things. And if you're if you would uh, just commit to praying for this ministry, and maybe even possibly if God puts it on your heart, we would love to train you up and send you out also, even if it's short term. We, the, we need the workers. So, um, so please uh, consider that, pray about it, and uh, feel free to speak to us. So, um, all right. Let's get the word. <laughs> let's get the word. All right. We're in 2 Samuel. But before we go to 2 Samuel, let's turn over to Psalm. 51. Now, <clears throat> where we're at, uh, David is a mess. Uh, David has been told by the Lord that the sword, sword will not depart from his household. And as a result of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, he's lost his uh, baby son, his infant son. Now Absalom uh, has murdered his other son. And now is trying to overthrow David uh, from the throne. David left in 2 Samuel 15, weeping uh, as he left, uh, left Jerusalem. He, he's crying. He's a total mess. David is in his 60s at this point. And uh, he writes this psalm. Psalm, what's that? Okay. He writes this psalm, Psalm 51. And I believe... Oh, I'm sorry, Psalm 55. That's, what, that's the psalm I want. I believe this psalm is written just based on what it speaks about during this time because one of his most trusted counselors, Ahithophel, has also turned on him and is giving counsel to Absalom. And Ahithophel is really considered one of the wisest men in Israel. Notice what David writes, verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. Because the voice of my enemy, because the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me and wrath they hate me. Already right now we can feel the pain of David just as he says, I'm restless in my complaint and I moan noisily. The inner turmoil. Well, he goes on to say in verse 4, my heart is severely pained within me. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. Horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would escape from the windy storm and tempest. Now, I certainly think we can all identify with that prayer. Because when seasons of trouble come into our lives and season of turmoil and pain, don't we wish we could just get wings of a dove and just kind of fly off, just avoid it altogether, just escape it, everything? And so we can hear David's prayer. But the point is, is David here starts calling upon the name of the Lord. Look at verse 16. He says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. And that's what David does. David understands that he is under 
the, the correction of God, the discipline of God. He understands that. As we saw in 15, uh, he even mentions that in chapter 15. So he understands this, but he also knows that it is to God he needs to go. And so uh, I want to encourage you tonight as we look at this chapter that uh, we're going to see that God cares for and answers one of David's prayer as he leaves Jerusalem. This chapter we're going to see God answer. So go ahead and turn over to 2 Samuel 17, and we'll get into tonight's uh, chapter. We'll see how far we get. I don't know. Uh, Moreover, Ahithophel... Uh, that's that counselor that turned on David. Said to Absalom, now let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee. And I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel has already given advice to Absalom to take all of David's concubines, because David left his concubines behind, and to make a tent on top of the palace to sleep publicly in front of all of Israel, that they would see that David has, or uh, Absalom has taken the power from David and taken his concubines. Now Ahithophel gives this advice. He's like, let's make a surgical strike on David. He's weak. We can go in there. I'll lead the troops. We'll strike, uh, we'll strike the king dead. And, and as he gives his plan, he's basically saying, we won't even have to have all-out war. We'll just strike David, and the king will fall, and then Israel will have peace. And notice, look at verse 4, and the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Now, Ahithophel's advice is good advice. But God, uh, David has asked Hushai, one of his other counselors, to stay as kind of a spy and a decept- deceiving counselor for Absalom and stay. And so we're going to see Hushai gives counter advice to Ahithophel. Real fast, I want to bring your attention to, to 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. As David was weeping and crying and leaving uh, uh, and going across the Mount of Olives, 2 Samuel 15, 31, it says, Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And look at what David said. David prayed, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So that was David's prayer in 2 Samuel 15, that God would turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So Ahithophel has given his advice to Absalom. Absalom is pleased with it. All the elders of Israel are pleased with it. Now Hushai comes up in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 17. Then Absalom said, now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For 
said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for the multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, We will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him all the men who are with him there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into the city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and will pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So Hushai says, listen, you don't know your dad. Your dad is a man of war. He's dangerous. And not only is he a man of war, but he's got all these valiant men, you know, the mighty men which we've talked about. Now, that was true of David a while ago, before he left the city weeping and crying as he went over the Mount of Olives. Certainly David is not that man at this moment, and Hushai knows it because Hushai saw David and was like, okay, he's a mess. Uh, he, he, he's just beat up, downtrodden. He's just accepting this correction of the Lord. He's still dependent upon the Lord, but, but he, he kind of scares Absalom. See, Absalom is not a man of war. Absalom's a prince. Uh, I would say he's got Goldilocks, but he probably didn't have blonde hair. Remember, Absalom had that luscious mane of hair that he trimmed once a year and took off about five and a half pounds of hair. And he was all about just being handsome, looking good, giving the wonderful presentation to all of Israel, but he certainly wasn't a man of battle. He was a vain man. So, uh, so as he hears this advice of Hushai to gather all of Israel and that Absalom himself would actually lead the charge, I think this somewhat appeals to the vanity of Absalom. So verse 16 says, So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Remember they had said that this pleased uh, all the elders and Absalom? Well, now they're saying, no, no, this Hushai's got better advice. It's better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had, this key verse here, for the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. This is an answer to prayer. Underline that in your Bibles. God answers prayer. It doesn't matter how wise the person is. The wisest man in all of Israel is no match for God. That means that if people plot, if leaders uh, plot in vain, if God is for you, then who can be against you? That's the reality of our situation. Even if you are under the discipline of the Lord, the Lord cares for those he loves. He takes care of. And yeah, God is disciplining David, but he also didn't never said that, David, I'm taking the throne away from you. God never said that. So David gives his prayer to the Lord. The Lord answers that prayer and cares for, for David. Uh, and it's just quite amazing to know that 
even the wisest man in all of Israel was no match for the one who trusts in the Lord and seeks the Lord. And so, verse 15, it says, Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Thus, and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus, and so I have advised, now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, do not spend the night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. So Hushai quickly sends out word. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz, these are two of the spies, stayed in, in Rogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. So David's got kind of this loyal spy network going on. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim, who uh, had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it, and the thing was, uh, was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman in the house, they said, where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, they have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they, they came up of the well and went and told, the King David, told King David and said to David, Arise, cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan by morning light. Not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Now I want to say something about David we're going to see twice in this chapter, he follows good advice. David is not just this person who's like, I'm the king. I, I know what's good. Oh, of course I'm not going to run. Uh, of course I'm not going to do this. No, he, he listens and he responds. And uh, that's the mark of a good leader, to listen to those who, who care for him and love him and who God has given to give wisdom to. So verse 23, now when Ahithophel saw this advice was not followed, he saddled the donkey and rose, went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. He was buried in his father's tomb. Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed. Now, you could say he's just a, a poor loser, but it's probably not what it is. Ahithophel is the wisest man in all of Israel. The previous chapter said he was like an oracle of God. He was like a prophet. When he said something, it was spot on. And I think when Ahithophel saw that his advice wasn't followed, he knew, I'm done. Absalom is over. King David is going to win this. And I'm going home. He saddled his donkey, went home, put his affairs in order, and hung himself. Uh, <clears throat> it's a sad end to a wise man, but, uh, of course, obviously, the wisdom is, is not there in the end. He puts himself to death and is buried. God took care of David. Verse 24, then David went to uh, Mah Mahanaim and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. The Amasa was the son of uh, a man whose name was Jithra, the Israelite. He'd gone to Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. So uh, Absalom is preparing for this battle where he's going to lead the troops and he's setting apart his, his general. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that, that Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, and the people of Ammon, Makir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and 
Barzillai, this is tough, by the way, the Gileadite from Rogalim brought beds and basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. How wonderful it is that now God provides people, friends, who meet the needs of the people and take care of them. Verse 18, chapter 18, and David numbered all the people who were with him and set captains of thousands, captains of hundreds over them. They're preparing for battle. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of uh, Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, you shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us, nor uh, if half of us die, uh, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are now more help to us in the city. Now, if you remember, David originally didn't go out to battle when the kings go out to war. He stayed home and got in trouble with Bathsheba and put him in his old mess. Now is the point in time where he's being advised, no, you need to stay here. We're going to go out and battle. You are worth way too much for us. You got to stay here, David. And he listens. He takes their advice. And this time he stays put. And the battle is about to begin. Verse 4, then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Basically, don't kill Absalom. I love that young man. He's my son. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. So they've all heard, don't touch Absalom, deal gently with him. Well, verse 6, so the people went out into the field of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. You get that? The woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. How does that work? I have no idea, but I know we have a big God that uses the terrain in, in the people's favor when he wants to. And, and so here we see that this battle commences. 20,000 are going to die from Israel. God is completely going to show favor to David and his men. And the woods are literally devouring people. I don't know if they're falling into pits, whatever it is. We're just not given the details. But we know if God is for us, who can be against us? That's right. So then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. Trusty steed into battle. (laughs) Sorry, just... It's kind of a funny picture, this vain guy on a mule. Uh... (laughs) The meal went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head got caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And the meal which was under him went on. <laughs> oh, boy. You can just see it, right? He's just riding on his meal. I'm going into battle, everyone. And he comes under this tree. Now, we don't know if it's his hair that gets caught. The text says his head. 
Uh, I, I'm assuming it's his hair because it just would be such great justice for the Lord to do that, but I don't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> his head gets caught and the mule just keeps going. Oh, wait, wait, come back. Trusty Steed. Uh, yeah, so he's just hanging there, <laughs> stuck. He can't do anything. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a turban tree. It's almost comical what's happened here. This, this man who's king and overthrowing the mighty David and, and claiming himself as if they're hanging. And, and one of the soldiers sees it and reports it to Joab. Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. That's always a good throw in a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing of the king's command, uh, commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life, for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. And so the, the man says, like, I'm not going to touch. The king told me don't. I'm going to listen to the king. Well, then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand, thrust them into Absalom's heart. More likely, it's just the center of his chest. While he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree, and ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Now, it's interesting that Absalom took ten of David's concubines, and now ten of the young men just finish him off. Um. And so Joab blew the trumpet, and people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab held back the people, and they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's monument. Now, uh, the, the text actually tells us earlier on that Absalom had two sons, so we don't know if those two sons had perished in some way or if this monument that he erected for himself was before he had two sons. We don't know. But uh, <laughs> I just like that Absalom uh, at the time, at some point in time, decided, like, I have no sons, so might as well build a monument to myself so somebody remembers me. And uh, there goes, that's the end of Absalom. He's dead. He's done. Uh, caught up in a tree, the, this mighty ruler who is overthrowing God's servant. A simple prayer and the faithfulness of God, it, it cannot stand against God's people. And I, I think we need to do well to remember that when God is for us, who can be against us? It's not possible for anyone to thwart the will of God or the plan of God in your life. The, verse 19, then Ahimaaz the son of Zadok said, let me run now and take the news to the king how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, you shall not take the news this day for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. So Ahimaaz is a runner. He wants to, he's like, put me in coach. And uh, Joab tells him, no, I'm not putting you in. Uh, you're going to stay here, uh, but I want 
um, the Cushite to go and, and give the news. And Ahimaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. Come on, coach, let me go. Let me run. So Joab says, why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? You have nothing to share. And, and uh, he says, but whatever happens, he said, let me run. So he said to him, run. <laughs> then Ahimaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So Ahimaz takes off running, catches the Cushite, passes him up. But there's something important about Ahimaz. He doesn't have any news to share. He's just running. <laughs> um, uh, I can't help but think of Forrest Gump. Why are you running? Just because? <laughs> you know. He's running. So now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. And then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, there's another man running alone. <laughs> and the king said, he also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he's a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hands against my Lord the king. The king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Basically, he goes, Okay, so tell me what happened to Absalom, my son. He's like, uh, I don't know. There was a, just a, a big stir a lot of stuff happening. I have no idea what happened. <sighs> just wait here. <laughs> so he just tells him to turn aside and wait. And uh, then the Cushite came and the Cushite said, there's good news, my Lord King, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise against you do harm be like, uh, uh, who rise against you, uh, to do harm, be like that young man. Now, I want to say this for a moment. Is, uh, as comical as this whole situation is with Ahimaz just running, I think it's important to recognize that uh, God has given you a message. It's not the message of overthrowing of Absalom or, or destroying those, those uh, armies that have set out against you or anything like that. But God has certainly given you a message, and it's a valuable message. It's an important message that God has put upon your lips, uh, that message of salvation. And oftentimes we run like Ahimaz with no message. We, we, we're just out there doing our thing, and we never deliver the message. And I want to challenge all of you today to... to Really consider that God has put a message on your lips to be delivered to others. So, and this is obviously a little bit of a, a just application from this comical situation. But I think it's important to, I mean, what, what's the point of a man running with no message? It doesn't make sense to me. I, I think it's just foolishness. The, the guy's like, I just got to run. I, gotta, I want to do something for the king. And he has nothing to bring. 
But God has put you in a place where you've, he's given you a message and you have a wonderful message of reconciliation with the God of this universe that you can deliver to people. So don't run like Ahimaaz. Run like the Cushite who's got a message and it needs to be delivered. Okay, okay, I'm going to do this. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And he went in, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David's in great grief at this point, hearing that his son had died. And um, I don't think you can blame him for grieving the loss of his son. I mean, he's lost so much with his three sons now by this point. He's lost, and he's in deep grief, but we're going to see next week that Joab kind of snaps him out of it and uh, brings David out of this grief. Turn back over to Psalm chapter 55. Psalm chapter 55. Um. Verse 16, we read, as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Go down to verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. That's what set David apart from all these other rulers, from Saul, from everyone, is that David would go to the Lord. He recognized he was under the Lord's discipline, but like a good father, even when he's disciplined his child, he's holding and caring for and comforting that child while they go through that discipline. So, God, so David knows to cast your burden upon the Lord. Look, you can be overwhelmed with the grief of life or the burden, or even maybe you're under the chastisement of the Lord, but it is only God who will sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a promise of God. So you can take that, you can write that up, you can circle that, put that in, put that in uh, one of the blank pages in the back of your Bible when I'm going through hardship. And you can write that down and remember it, that God, you will cast your burdens upon the Lord. You will call upon God and the Lord shall save you. That's a wonderful promise for God's people. So with that said, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, how you care for us. Lord, how you establish your righteous ones. Lord, I don't know the situations that each and every one in this room are going through or enduring or the hardships they're experiencing but God, you know. And so right now, if you're in this room and you've been enduring, Lord, you've been in pain. And like David, as he's moaning noisily and is ready to cry out and say, Lord, make me, give me wings of a dove that I can fly away. I want you to just cast your burdens upon the Lord. You give those to him right now. You pray, Lord God, and share that with the Lord. Lord, forgive us when we think that you've forsaken us or you've disappeared from our side. Lord, when the, the pain has made us just forget that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are with us. 
And so, Lord, now I I pray that you'd encourage your people with your Holy Spirit. Remind them of your faithfulness and how you answer our prayers in your due time. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you for this wonderful testimony of how you've not only disciplined David, but cared for and sustained him. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you. The end of Psalm 91 says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You set your love upon God and let the Lord care for you and and encourage you. God bless you. May you walk in his peace this week. Amen.